Hello and welcome back to the podcast. The Sermon on the Mount represents one of Jesus' most powerful and probably influential blocks of teaching that still challenges the reader just as much today as it would have 2,000 years ago. So we're going to take the next several weeks to methodically unpack Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and we'd like to invite you to join us on that journey. If you have any more questions about the Traders Point Church of Christ, please visit our website at traderspointchurch.org, and you can also find us on Facebook and YouTube as well. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome back, and once again, thank you for studying along with us. Uh, My name is Jeremy, and I've got John with me here as usual. And we're continuing our study through uh, the Sermon on the Mount given to us by the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Last week we finished chapter 5, and uh, hopefully you've had opportunity to listen to that. But we are uh, setting ourselves up now to kind of jump into chapter 6, and it's still a very similar kind of vein for sure. But uh, before we get into the reading, we're going to cover verses 1 through 18 today. Uh, Before we get into that, we'll have uh, John kind of set us up, help us uh, by way of remembrance of where we've been, maybe a little bit of where we're going. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit unfair that this is broken into chapters because it is, as we've talked about before, it's all happening in one setting, it's all happening at one time. And I think it is actually very beneficial to read this straight through, and so you can follow the train of thought that Jesus is asking the listeners to go along with him. And I I think as we get into chapter 6, it's important to remember the context uh, that all of this is intended to do a couple of different things. It's intended to challenge us in the way that we think about uh, our actions, the way that we think about how we treat one another, and how we think about our relationship with God. But it's also meant to force us to look inward and to really think about not just what we do, but how do we think about one another? What's in our heart? And that is, of course, what Jesus is most interested in, what's in our heart. And and all of this, the entire Sermon on the Mount, is really geared towards that. He's wanting us to think about what's in our heart and how what's in our heart affects and impacts then our actions that we take. And so that that train of thought is going to continue here into chapter 6. He's going to challenge us to think about charitable deeds and the way that we pray and and these types of things. But, But again, he's not just in the same way he wasn't intending to give Uh, new laws or even clarify laws as it pertains to murder or marriage or any of the things that he talked about in chapter 5. He's also not intending necessarily to give instructions on charitable deeds and praying. He's using those as tools to, again, point us to the heart. And and why do you do these things? Why do you say the things that you do? Why, Why do you pray the way that you do? He's asking us to think more deeply about these things. And so it's important as we get into chapter 6 to just remember that context and what Jesus is asking us to do. 
Yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking about it there in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20, where he makes the point that, you know, his followers, people that will be a part of his kingdom, their righteousness will exceed that of the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees. And and really what follows is almost a, a contrast between mm-hmm. what the, the world, religious world, uh, is acceptable to them, but now ultimately in contrast to what Jesus is looking for. And you make the right point that he's looking for the whole heart, your focus has to be right, your mindset has to be right, your attitudes have to be right. And that's a big part of what chapter 5 is. And although chapter 6 takes a turn a little bit, that same thing still applies. Mm-hmm. That Certainly where we're going to be here in verses 1 through 18, there remains a contrast. He's going to make mention of hypocrites specifically. He's going to make mention of the religious establishment, if you will, that this is the way that they do things, but I'm calling you to you know, think about things a bit different. And that really is very similar Although it's it's outside the law, if you will, now, and it's mm-hmm. it, it's a little bit more on you know some specific actions uh, that that we need to be thinking about. So super practical, super applicable uh, here. Kind of three different things that we'll see in this text, from our charitable deeds to our prayers to fasting. And although those are three very different things, really a very similar point is made. And so we're going to cover all three of those. Uh, verses 1 through 18, we'll read it here together, and then we'll spend a few minutes kind of talking about uh, what Jesus has to say here. So Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 1. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, and uh, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly." 
Well, John, before we get kind of into the, the meat of the discussion here, there's one thing that kind of stood out to me, and maybe a shift, certainly a shift that he's going, Jesus is going to hold on to as we get deeper into the Gospel of Matthew. But we made mention that chapter 5 and verse 20, where he points out specifically the scribes and the Pharisees. This is the way they act. These are the laws that they are beholden to. But I'm, as Jesus, I'm looking for you to go a little bit deeper. Now, when he gets into chapter 6, he seems to be in talking about the same group of people, but now instead of labeling them the scribes and the Pharisees, he is he's taken another step, and he has laid upon them the label of hypocrites. And I, I think there certainly is a significance uh, to that. So I thought uh, before we kind of get into the meat, uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about the significance of this switch and specifically what it says about them and their leadership. Well, it doesn't say anything good about them, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this type of language would have made them furious, and, and we see that at later times because, as you mentioned, this is a term that Jesus will routinely refer to them as uh, throughout his ministry. And, and so it, it really should be a, a, a stark reminder of the, the strong hatred that these Pharisees were going to feel towards Jesus. And he knew that. He wasn't doing this ignorantly. He, was, he knew what calling them hypocrites was going to do, and it was going to make them furious, and it was going to create a controversy between them. And so, but he was doing so very intently because he has seen what they have been doing, and they are supposed to be the religious leaders of the Jewish people. But what they're doing is all of the customs they've created, all of the traditions that they have, they've all been created not to glorify God, but to glorify themselves. And they have made a name for themselves among the people. They've made a lot of money for themselves because of these things. And so Jesus is trying to shine a spotlight on that hypocrisy that these men claim to be servants of God, when in reality, they are just making you servants of them. That's what this has all come down to. They want you to see all of the wonderful things that they do so that you say all these wonderful things about them and they get all the credit for all these great things they're doing. It has nothing to do anymore with them worshiping God or bringing praise to Him. It is now all about them. And that is hypocrisy. When they are claiming to be men from God, claiming to be servants of God's, when in reality, they are just wanting praise heaped upon them by those around them. And so, so Jesus is 100% shining a spotlight on this hypocrisy, and he is calling them out for it. And it is going to lead to a lot of problems down the road, but he knows that, and he's doing it very intentionally. You know, in a lot of ways, I mean, what, what we get here in, in Matthew chapter 6 is, it is a foundational definition for what hypocrisy is. I mean, he, he is giving in very visual terms this idea of playing it up, playing a role, if you will, for man in comparison to secretly or inwardly focusing on God. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, and so he does it in, in all three of these examples. And it, it is incredibly visual, right? You have at the very beginning, Uh, of chapter 6 and verse 2, when you do a charitable deed, you're sounding a trumpet, right? You're sounding a trumpet, almost announcing, look at what I'm doing. I'm doing something fantastic so men will notice. 
prayers on the corners or in the synagogues. You are out in front. And then even with fasting, you are presenting yourself in a very physical way that it is, you know, oh, it's such a terrible, terrible thing that I'm going through. And so he provides for us that very visual thing. I mean, the word hypocrite just in the Greek is putting on a show, basically. Mm -hmm. It is playing a role as an actor even. And that's a great definition and one that even plays out today because, you know, there still remains a, a temptation to play a role for what you expect man in the way that they would lift you up in some way and forget about God completely. Mm -hmm. And the point that's made here is an incredible contrast between the very public out in front to look for man and then versus God who is able to see into the deepest recesses of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so we can be charitable, and no one needs to know that but God. Our prayers are to God, our fasting. No one needs to know that's going on. God knows because he's able to see so deeply in. I think the the application in this is so real today. You know, you and I are sitting here both as preachers. We have a very public role within the church here at Traders Point. We're up in front of everyone and we're talking weekly. We teach Bible classes all the time. And it is very easy for a preacher to fall into the trap of playing preacher, where all of the focus is on how we present lessons and 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 how fluidly we can do so, and it, can we can we bring something up that hasn't been thought about before? All of those types of things we have to guard against that. We have to be very careful about that, or we would be no better than the Pharisees here if that's the way our minds work. We have to be very sincere about the way that we present lessons and make sure that we're doing it for the right reasons. But I would even take that a step further now, especially in today's culture. Just because you and I have a very public role here, the reality is is that we live in a culture where everybody has a public platform. Right. Social media has given everyone a public platform, and so everyone now has to guard against that because it's very easy to look spiritual on Facebook and Instagram, and it's very easy to fall into the trap of, I want everyone to see just how religious I am. I want everyone to see how great my faith is. I want everyone to see how much I love Jesus. And if we're not careful, we can lose the sincerity that God wants us to have with those types of actions and instead just start putting on a show. We start we start doing things just for the likes. We start doing things just for the views. And if, if that's the reality, then we have our reward just like the Pharisees did instead of realizing that my faith is something that's very personal between me and God. Now, that doesn't mean for one second that it shouldn't be something that others notice. But first and foremost, it has to be between me and God. And if others notice that, great, that can be used as a tool for evangelism, but it has to come from a place of sincerity. And the Pharisees were not coming from a place of sincerity. Yeah, I think one of the clear points that Jesus is making in this text is appearing to be righteous 
and being righteous are not necessarily the exact same right. thing. Now, you're, to your point, if we are righteous, other people will notice that. Yeah. We've read that already at the very beginning of Matthew, at the very end of the Beatitudes, the very outset of what is the introduction to this lesson. That's a point Jesus himself makes, mm-hmm. that if you are glorifying God and letting your light shine before men, other people are going to take notice of that, yeah. and they will glorify God. And so it is to be noticed by man for sure, but it is not, that is not the end game, right? That is not the mindset that we are to have. It's not about appearing to being righteous. It is about being righteous. And, and it really is a point that Jesus is making throughout the entirety of this sermon, in all three chapters in a lot of ways. Even at the very end, what we'll get to in a couple of weeks, you know, at the very end of Matthew chapter 7, I mean, it really is one of the last points he will, he will make. And it is so valuable for us to consider that. It seems very simple. Mm-hmm. It seems very easy. But there's a challenge there for sure because it feels good to be lifted up by people. It feels yeah. good to have people uh, clapping us on the back. It feels good uh, for people to say, man, there is someone super religious, and that's impressive. I mean, all of those things feel good. Mm-hmm. And when we start playing up to that, now our focus is on man instead of our focus being on God. Yeah, and there's you know there's nothing wrong with being encouraged by one another and being lifted up in those ways. But it all comes back to, again, kind of what we've been talking about throughout this entire study of the Sermon on the Mount. What is in your heart? Why are you doing these things? Why are you being charitable? Why are you praying? Why are you fasting? If you're doing all of those things for the right reasons, from a place of sincerity and a desire to be righteous before God, and others notice that and build you up and encourage you as a result of that, great. That's wonderful. And hopefully we can do that for one another. We can encourage one another and build one another up. But we always have to be checking ourselves and finding the reasons behind the things that we're doing. And I think that, as you mentioned, each of these sections, whether you're talking about the charitable deeds, whether you're talking about prayer, whether you're talking about fasting, he's making the same point in each of these sections. And that's why it is so important to keep all of this in context, because, uh, you know, there there are a lot of people who will take you to Matthew chapter 6 and read this prayer that Jesus uh, gives and use that as as a word-for-word prayer that we are to say on, on occasions. And, and doing so takes this entirely out of context and treats it as if Jesus is giving some instruction on prayer when that's really not what he's doing. He's not necessarily giving instructions on prayer. In fact, he even says at the beginning, don't use vain repetition. Right. He's not intending for us to repeat the words that he says here. He's using this, again, as a tool to build on his point of looking inward at the heart and being sincere and not being hypocritical the way that the Pharisees are and doing these things for the right reasons. That's how we should read Matthew chapter 6. That's how we should read the prayer that Jesus offers here in the context of what he's trying to help us see. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the overriding point he's making specifically about prayer, and, and it is the, the bulk of this context that we have read, is the point that when we pray, our audience isn't man. That's how the hypocrites are praying. Our audience is God. And, and where is he? Well, he is in the secret place, right? You can pray to him literally, as Jesus says, in your room, in your closet, with the door shut, 
And so he's wanting them to understand what prayer is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there certainly is a point made about prayer, but it, it is, what is prayer? Well, prayer is God is the audience. Right. That's that's the idea that's being made here, that it is a focus on him, not a focus on man. And so when we think about even charitable deeds, you know, it's kind of a, you know, sometimes we think that, hey, I'm doing something nice for someone else. And, and there is some truth to that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting how Jesus even equates that to God is the audience even in that. The yeah. love that I have for other people is akin to the love that I have for God. Those things are closely related. And, and so it, it goes down, it kind of goes back to, you know, chapter five in a lot of ways the simplicity of just thinking about God first mm-hmm. and fully. And when we do that, the impact then that it has in, in really all aspects of life. Yeah, and I think you know we can then begin to expand out the application of this teaching to all aspects of our lives. Right. Because we could be guilty of putting on a show for people, religiously speaking, spiritually speaking, in a variety of different ways, even outside of the three specifics that are given here in Matthew chapter 6. And so really what this should do is just serve as a reminder to us that whatever we're doing, we're going to be doing it for God. That That is, as you mentioned, and I think you rightly said, He is my audience here. This is why I'm doing this. I'm I'm giving because of the love that I have for God and the love that He has for me. Now, whether and again, you can expand this application out to a hundred different aspects of our lives. Every single one of them deserves our attention to make sure that our motives are pure behind what we're doing. Because if we ever stop and have a moment of honesty with ourselves and say, I am doing this because of how I want someone else to see me, then that is a moment where we need to put the brakes on things and reevaluate our motives, because we are no better than the Pharisees in that situation. And so this is something that constantly requires our evaluation, constantly requires our attention, because this idea of hypocrisy, Jesus is going to, as we mentioned at the outset, he's going to hammer them because of their hypocrisy. That tells me right there that that is not something that I want to be guilty of. And so that tells me just how important it is that I'm constantly checking my motives and making sure that I'm sincere. Yeah, so you know, as we close this section out, I would encourage everybody who's listening you know, along with us to maybe take a look at it again, this passage for yourself, and certainly meditate upon it. It is a powerful section. And I think you make a really, really strong point as he kind of opens up this idea of hypocrisy. It certainly is something he'll come back to, and he hammers it as hard, if not harder, than anything else uh, throughout the Gospels. And you're right. That tells me this is something I don't want any part of. And this really, the idea of what it's all about is given to us right here in this section. So thank you so much for studying along with us. We look forward to uh, continuing on in this study as he will kind of make a similar point towards the end of this chapter. We look forward to discussing that and studying with you next week.